Hi friends, welcome to worship. This is Palm Sunday, and this is the beginning of Holy Week. Many years ago, in the pages of scripture, we see this amazing scene, Jesus riding into Jerusalem, and people coming out of their shelters, yelling, Hosanna, praising Jesus, which means save, save now. What's amazing is that the people back then, they had it so right, because you see, this is why Jesus had come. But just a few days later, they would get it so wrong that those same folks would send him to the cross because he did not save in the way that they wanted or expected. We have gathered here, we are gathered from all over to worship our God, to sing praises with him. I would suggest you open the shelter of your own heart to praise him and to trust that not only is God still saving today, but that he is working and alive and moving and doing things beyond what we can even see or imagine. Friends, let us worship and praise our God with full and open hearts.
In Matthew chapter 21, we read these words. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches of trees, waved them, and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him, Jesus, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Would you join me in prayer? Holy God, as those who came out of their shelters and gathered along that roadside and shouted, Hosanna, save us. Lord, we join in those praises and we still share that same request, Lord, save. We thank you for Jesus, for his love and faithfulness and the sacrificial and surrendered life that he lived all the way to the end so that we could truly have confident hope and salvation and stand strong in the midst of trials. Lord, may our own lives take on that same life and character of Jesus. May our sole desire and mission be to do your will. God, grow our faith and open us to see how you are working today and in the days to come so that we can join you in accomplishing your will. Lord, we lay so many cares before you. God, you know those that are sick and ailing, and we pray for healing, and we pray, Lord, that you will spare lives. God, we bring anxiety and fear and many other things. God, bring your peace, as your scriptures say, that transcends anything that we can understand. God, may your presence be palpable and present in our lives. God, may we never hesitate to bring you our cares and our joys and our concerns, God. You are delighted and you are eager to hear and answer prayers. Lord, we submit our lives to you. We submit and we trust and we will continue to trust that you are moving and acting as we continue to shout, save, Lord, save. And so we praise you, God. We thank you that you are quick to save. We continue to shout praises of Hosanna. And Lord, we bless you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone together said, amen, amen. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everyone. Uh, My name is Heather DeBoer and it's just a joy to share this morning with you. I know that we cannot physically be together, but I believe that since we are all allocating our time and our attention, we are still sharing this Sunday together. So what a joy it is to share this Palm Sunday with you. I want to take a moment to thank God for something that may seem kind of obvious, but Lord, thank you for technology. Thank you for giving us the means to gather and worship in the ways that we are. It is something that can almost be overlooked of, Lord, thank you for giving us this gift that we can still worship in this awesome capacity. I know that um, in spaces where more than one are gathered, there is the Holy Spirit. And so I know that wherever this screen, wherever all of the screens that this service is reaching, there is the Holy Spirit. And so I am so eager to see what the Spirit has to speak to all of us who are listening. 
Lord, we are here to listen to the words that you have to tell us, and um, it is just such a gift that we have this capacity. Along uh, those lines, we have a whole lot going on this week for Holy Week. So today, uh, it is Palm Sunday, um, and we actually have two services going on. So obviously the one that you are watching right now, but we also had one called um, The Passion. It's a beloved uh, Christchurch tradition. And so uh, I would encourage you all to come back and check out our website later this afternoon and see what Passion is all about, um, because it is truly an awesome event. We also have Maundy Thursday services, Good Friday services, and Easter Sunday services all um, available to you online. So for those, you can check out Christchurch.us if you go to um, the Connect section, and then under Connect, there is Worship. If you go to Worship, you'll see uh, both classic and contemporary times, and there you'll get all of the information for all of those services I just listed. I know for me, Holy Week is just such an essential and vital part of my faith calendar. It's a time where I feel uh, particularly close to Jesus because we get to study what his last week looked like before his resurrection. And so I sincerely hope that you all will tune back in and check out all of the, the worship opportunities that we have available. Finally, this is the time that we would tell you all to turn and greet a neighbor. And so I want to encourage you to, right now, take out your phone or go to the chat that is on this live stream that we have and reach out to someone that you would have looked forward to seeing on a Sunday morning. Just give them a quick hello and tell them that you miss them. So I just have to jump in. I want to just jump in and say how excited I am to, uh, to be with you today and to acknowledge that that wonderful uh, leader that just spoke to you is my future daughter-in-law. I'm really jazzed about that. Amy and I could not be happier about that eventuality as Heather and our son Cole are planning to be uh, married in days to come. Uh, we are coming to that part of our service of worship that in more ways than ever today, uh, represents a particular leap of faith to us. Uh, we're going to be taking up our offering in just a moment, and I'm very, very mindful that the circumstances of our time uh, really test our values, our commitments in a fresh way. Uh, I know that uh, many of you out there are just feeling the change conditions, economically speaking. Unless you happen to buy a deep into uh, Zoom or Purell a few months back, chances are you're seeing your 401k or portfolio, if you even have these things, uh, looking uh, pretty ugly, at least not as pretty as it was looking months ago, and I hope in a year or so's time we'll be looking again. We know that many of you have, have undergone a loss of income in some ways. You're perhaps going through salary reductions. You're facing the reality of the possibility of, of losing a job or actually already have lost a job. And this makes stewardship really hard. I will say that we here, uh, it, the leadership at Christ Church, get that. We are living this journey with you as well. Uh, we've seen since we went totally online a few weeks ago, our giving to the support of our ministry dropped by 30%. Uh, and are figuring out how do we deal with that reality. Uh, we have imposed graduated salary cuts 
that is just one of the ways we're trying to be prudent in this time. We're cutting in every other place we possibly can that does not in some way jeopardize our ability to keep on serving you and to keep supporting the mission partners of Christ Church who are often facing circumstances even tougher than we are. Uh, I will tell you that in my own household, we're feeling it uh, profoundly. Uh, we have a kid in college still. We are uh, getting ready for the cost of uh, a significant uh, uh, wedding event that uh, I've just talked about. Uh, we are facing a salary reduction. We are dealing with a loss of, uh, of investment income. Uh, and for us, this act of offering that happens, uh, it, it is a test of faith. But Amy and I are, are, are continuing to take that leap of faith. Why is that? Well, in part, it's because we just believe that God has called us to put his kingdom first and that uh, all the rest of what we need in life will, will follow after if we put his kingdom first. And, and we do it because we are trusting in his promise that he will supply the daily bread. Maybe not the seven-layer cake we, we have been often used to, but certainly the daily bread. And we also do it because we believe that if ever there was a time for the local church to remain strong, if ever there was a moment when the ministries of, of a community of faith like Christ Church were needed in our time, now is that particular time. And we are, are wired into so much life-changing work in our community and around the world, and we just want to see that keep going, and it takes money to do that, and that means we have to take a lead and, and sacrifice and take that leap of faith. I want to say thank you to the many of you who are, who are going to choose today to take that same leap, to, to commit yourself as stewards of the church, of the kingdom of God in a very practical way. And we provided, as you know, a variety of ways that you can do this. Uh, if you are on live stream today and the window isn't maximized, you can probably see that red give button beckoning there. It's a simple way to be part of the stewardship of our church. Uh, if you don't have that, or even if you just prefer to use a phone, you can text to give. You can go to uh, PushPay and, and contribute in that fashion. Uh, we've installed outside of the entrances of our buildings these new drop boxes, and you can actually go and drop a, an old-fashioned check right into that drop box. a great excuse to get out today and enjoy the sunshine and do it in a safe way. Or you are, of course, always welcome to send um, through the mail uh, your, your offering. I know that every single gift matters to God because every single giver matters to God. And uh, as our musicians uh, now bring their gifts before God and, and offer their offering, I just want to invite you again to play your part in this incredible work of grace that Jesus began. And in our offering today, let's continue to give honor and glory to him. Till I lay my head Oh, I 
We've been thinking a lot uh, over these last several weeks about the goodness of God. We've um, been studying closely together the words that Jesus speaks from the cross. And if ever there is a place where we see the nature of that goodness really displayed, it is when grace is under pressure at the cross. And we see that in a powerful way through the many things that Jesus says that offers us, even in his dying, a pathway for a greater kind of living. I want to read today, if I may, just one short uh, section of the scriptures. It's found in John chapter 19 as we continue the story and once again listen to Jesus speaking to us. Later, knowing that all was now completed... And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of this hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. 
And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. The woman shared with her friend through sobs, explaining that her husband had left her for a younger woman. It is finished. The cancer patient remarked to their spouse after the doctor's report came in explaining that there was nothing more they could do. The chemo was no longer working. So it's finished, said the exhausted business owner who had tried so hard through the beginning of the crisis to keep making it all work and realized that it just was not going to work. Think how many senior in high school have said those words about their glorious end period of, of the journey, or how many uh, athletes, particularly seniors in college athletics, have had to say those words as they saw the death of the dream of that final season uh, coming about. Life is full of painful endings and of cut flowers and of frustrated dreams and of cancellations of one kind or another, but few sentences carry the heaviness of that, carry the weight and loss that comes with those uh, changes in life, though, like those three words, it is finished, it is finished, it is finished. When pressed up against the difficult face of any ending of any kind, it is almost always difficult for us to believe there might be a larger picture. Maybe that helps to explain why. When Jesus of Nazareth reaches this moment in his life, when he speaks out those words for himself, his enemies and his loved ones alike naturally took his words as a cry of surrender, of defeat, of despair. This is the pattern so often in life. But things are not always at the, as they seem at the moment. Or maybe I should put that differently. Sometimes they're exactly what they seem at the moment, but the moment is just a milestone in a bigger journey. As William Ralph Inga once observed, the private in the trenches is a poor judge of the fortunes of a great battle. And it is especially important, I think, for us to remember that right now. This is a story that keeps unfolding in our lives. We don't know what future pains there may be, what future sacrifices might still be required of us, and we don't know what glories might come from this season of our lives. Sometimes the ending of one thing is actually a necessary step to a whole new beginning. This, I believe, is one of the crucial takeaways from these sixth words of Jesus from the cross. And I think it's impossible to understand these 
particular words of Jesus except in light of the broader scope of the teachings of Christ. In fact, I think reading the rest of the gospel is critical to understanding what Jesus was actually saying in this moment. Shortly before Palm Sunday, Jesus told a parable that brings into focus the incredible wonder of the words he speaks from the cross here like no other I know. It's not an accident he told this story just before he entered into this final week of his life because this story was meant to interpret that final week. It's a story that you've probably heard before. I've certainly reflected upon with you before. It's about a slave who is brought before his master to settle up a debt. It was a time of economic calamity for this slave, as it is for many of us today. And as you may recall, the slave just begged the master for patience. Be patient with me and I will pay back everything. The slave said, as many a person is crying today, but here the story of Jesus transforms from this innocuous anecdote about money into a completely outrageous tale about mindset. This is a, a story really about the mindset we bring to life. In the economy of first century Palestine, if an ordinary worker would save up everything that she or he had made for 15 years, never even spending a cent of that money on food or housing or extra toilet paper, that person might accumulate as much as one Roman talent. But this particular slave owes the master 10,000 talents. The slave insists that if the master will only grant him a little bit more time, the loyal servant will certainly pay off all of his debts, and he certainly could have in about 150,000 years. That's why I say this is not really a story about money, it's a story about mindset, about one's view of reality. Now, I always laughed at this particular scenario, at the foolishness of this slave in the story until one day I realized that Jesus was saying, Dan, that slave is you. That's why I told the story. It was to reach people like you. You go through the course of your life so often thinking of yourself as in not that much trouble when it comes to your debts, to at least your moral debts. You go through your life thinking you will surely rack up enough moral points to satisfy the holiness of God if he needs to loan a little bit to you at the end or show a little bit of patience with you. It won't be much and surely he'll be able to take care of that for you. You compare yourself, Dan, to all of those really serious debtors out there, those really bad people in the world, and you think, oh, I might need maybe a little bit of grace at best. I, I may be a little bit behind in my moral payments, and surely God grades on a curve. This is your mindset, Dan. And I'll confess that even after all these years of studying the scriptures and trying to walk the discipleship life, man, I go back to that mindset subconsciously so easily. How about you? 
My Father in heaven, says Jesus, however, is holy. He is completely pure. And, and to him, Dan, your indifference to the needs of other people, your attention to your own luxuries versus the basic needs of my brothers and sisters that are hurting, this is a serious thing. Your, your, your bitter intolerance of the failings of other people is as bad as murder to my father, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Your fantasies are as atrocious to my father as adultery or rape is, again he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when I say these kinds of things, when I speak in these hyperbolic ways, you understandably find yourself drawing back. You resist this kind of teaching. I know I do in my spirit when Jesus says these things. And I know you're getting tired perhaps of my hitting on this theme. I feel like I've touched on it a few times in the course of this series, but I only do it because it is so central to getting the cross. If we can't understand, if we can't get a mindset that takes in the reality of actually who we are before the holy God, the cross makes no real sense to us or can't exert its power upon us. And so let me be ruthlessly honest even further here. We have to be very sure that we don't let ourselves stay with a mindset in which we imagine even for an instant that we are pious, pretty good people when we are actually carrying the virus of sin. I think there's an incredible analogy in our time. There, there, there are, we're being given this amazing like reminder that it's possible to be very sick and to not realize it yet. It's possible that we're actually infecting and hurting and injuring other people and not really get it yet. We may look very asymptomatic when we compare ourselves to somebody who's coughing and hacking, but we might actually be very perilously ill and in need of salvation, in need of help and hope. And it is only where our self-righteous delusion about our health is, is truly finished that genuine hope can begin. Until we put to death that tendency towards a certain spiritual smugness and we live daily instead with this personally profound, humble grasp of just how deeply we are or have been in spiritual debt until we realize that we couldn't actually pay off what we owe even if we had 150,000 years to do it if we don't get how desperately we need grace then we will never take that grace in. Then Christ's work on the cross cannot apply to, cannot be received by us, cannot unfold, not just in us, but then through us for others. But if we can get to that place, if we can return regularly to the foot of the cross together, and if we can fall on our knees before the cross and shout, Hosanna, save us, God, save us. If we can get to that place, 
which is a very different place than the Palm Sunday crowd was when they were simply looking for a better economy, a little more political power. If we can come to the cross and come to that place of humility before God and understand that if it were not for him, we would deserve to be up there, then if we can get to that place, we're gonna hear some very good news that can change life completely. Many years ago, um, some archaeologists were digging through ruins in an ancient Roman city. And the archaeologists came across the remnants of what they believed was a library that was dating back to the first century AD. Among the scraps of parchment that they uncovered at this dig, investigators found uh, these uh, papers on which were written these long inventories of precious goods. And alongside of those uh, lists of goods, there were all kinds of numbers. And it didn't take long for the people who discovered this stuff to determine that this library had actually belonged to some merchant, to, to, to a obviously um, prosperous merchant. And these documents that they were uncovering were actually bills of sale. What puzzled some of the researchers, however, was that across some of the documents was scrawled a single Greek word. And the Greek word was tetelestai. Tetelestai. The word comes from the Greek word Telio, which literally means to complete. Tetelestai is in the aorist sense or tense of that verb, which means that it is suggesting an action in the past whose force continues into the future. So, so the word literally means it is complete, it has been completed, and it continues to be so it continues to have a force that moves out into the future. Archaeologists finally concluded that the word when was, was printed on these invoices could only mean one thing. It was the equivalent of a statement that a modern-day merchant might stamp across an invoice in bold red letters, or that we hope in some cases the government might one day stamp across some loan that, that our business or organization has taken in great letters. It's, a, it's the equivalent of the statement that one would make, would make the heart of an overburdened debtor absolutely leap with joy. The word tetelestai means literally paid in full. Debt canceled. Now, any guesses as to what the Greek translation of Jesus' sixth word from the cross is? You've got it. Tetelestai. It is finished. What my cynical, bean-counting heart wants to know is how. How is it possible that that word should be written there? Ancient bills of sale for camels and grain are one thing, 
but I mean there's no way that my real moral debt and that of you and every other human being who has ever lived or who ever will live could ever be paid off in one moment. I mean, friends, we're talking about 150,000 years of debt repayment. We're talking about 150,000 years of goodness times billions and billions of people. Why, there's only one being in the entire universe who has got that kind of moral resource in his bank account to cover that kind of debt, and unfortunately, that's the one to whom the debt is owed. But assuming for one wild moment that, that this one to whom it was all owed crazily chose to balance the spiritual ledger, wouldn't it cost everything? Wouldn't it cost everything he had, his pride, his glory, his riches, his power, wouldn't he have to be willing to pour it all out to balance the scales? Yes, he would. Yes, he did. This is why the word to telestai wasn't printed on a thin piece of parchment, but upon a thick piece of lumber that reminds us of the combined ledger sheets of all of humanity. This is why it wasn't written in neat word processed ink, but in capital blood red letters to telestai. It is completed, it is finished. The debt is paid in full. And the cross of Christ is the ultimate cares act. It is an outpouring of resources and of debt forgiveness from the only entity able to achieve the recovery that we need. Think about that as we look up to him.
Okay, so, so give me a little help here. What, why would Jesus do this thing? Why would this one to whom we look up have chosen to have poured himself out in the radical, dramatic, amazing way that he does? I have this sense that, that it's because of the second and final piece of good news that, that we hear being spoken out in effect by these words of Jesus from the cross. It has to do with another meaning of this word, tetelestai. Uh, in some ancient usages, as I've just suggested, the term means the cancellation of debt. But in others, it means the completion of a great work. Uh, the, the ending or finishing of a great work as in the way that a sculptor uh, might perfect a piece of stone that has been left undeveloped or damaged. In fact, the Apostle Paul picks up this very idea when he suggests that in Christ, we have an image not only of the divine nature, but we have an image of what human nature could be what it was meant to be, what it will be one day when God perfects or finishes the work of restoration upon fallen humanity. In his letter to the Romans, Paul draws this idea out very vividly. He says that where, where Adam and Eve were disobedient to uh, God's law, Christ shows us what it looks like to live a life in perfect obedience to God. Where Adam and Eve mistrusted God, Christ shows us what it looks like to trust God's will completely and at all times. Where Adam and Eve uh, shift responsibility for sin and try and, and, and put the blame on other people that brings death to humanity, Jesus gives away what is his to keep, takes upon himself ownership of the responsibility that should have been others in order to give forgiveness and life to the world. In short, in Jesus Christ, we have a picture of what humanity looks like when the damage done by sin is removed, when the crisis has passed, when we're fully healthy and alive. There's more to the good news that something I'd like to share in closing might help to uh, underline for us. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the work of the artist Michelangelo. Chances are you, you know pretty much about him. You know that he excelled as a painter, as a sculptor, an architect, and a designer. And it was particularly his work as, as a sculptor that he is remembered for he, his depiction of, of the David, of David, before uh, his encounter with Goliath is regarded as one of the most spectacular sculptures ever made. Or, or the, the, the sculpture he, he made of Moses, who was just described Ascended from Mount Sinai and is holding the Ten Commandments and is looking over and you see the look on his face as he sees the Israelites worshiping a golden calf when he's just encountered the glory of God or, or perhaps the most beloved of all of the sculptures of Michelangelo, the Pieta, in which Mary holds the crucified body of her precious son cradled in her arms. 
These finished works of Michelangelo continue to inspire millions of people and it's gonna be a wonderful thing when people can go back to see them again in the days to come. What some of you may not know is that there is also a hall in Florence, Italy that is filled with Michelangelo's unfinished works. Because of COVID-19, nobody's visiting those anymore right now either, but if you could go there, you would find these figures apparently struggling to get free from the stone. Struggling to break free from the things that shackle them and hold them back. You would see the faces and bodies of of beings where the chisel seems to have gone amiss for a moment and correction is needed. You see sculptors that have been cracked from falling. And when I visited that hall back in 2004, I, I, I was just overwhelmed by the sense, this is us. This is how I feel at times. This is what I encounter in so many people I talk to. This struggling against the weight, against the worry, against the sin that entangles, this struggling to break free, to overcome the cracks and the blemishes and the falling. Have you ever been to that hall? Can you imagine it? There is another hall that none of us have been to yet. But if we are followers of Jesus, we're going there. We'll be there one day. One day in the twinkling of an eye, the apostle writes, you and I will be there in that hall. You will not see a single unfinished work in that place. For the master who walks these halls always completes what he starts. He does it with a genius and a tenacity that makes even Michelangelo look like a kid working in Play-Doh. As you pass through that hall, you will notice that you are surrounded by incredible works of perfection. You will be amazed by some of the people you see because they will no longer look anything like you saw them looking before. You will be awestruck before the beauty and the goodness and the perfection of the glorified persons that now are there because of Jesus Christ. And you will notice that they bear a striking resemblance to the one who even in his dying showed us what it means to truly live. And miracle of all miracles, as you pass by a mirror, I imagine you will see that you much more closely resemble him than you ever dared to dream was possible. The people on Palm Sunday hailed Jesus They hailed him as their Messiah. But they had a particular picture in their heads about what salvation looked like. They had a mindset that told them that their greatest need was actually for things, for power, for the stuff of this world. They couldn't wait to see how the fortunes of the larger battle might unfold. They could not wait or even understand 
with their mindset the glorious salvation that Jesus had really come to begin. You and I must be patient. We must wait for the purposes of God to unfold. For as the Apostle Paul once wrote, I am absolutely confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And this is simply God's way of saying a day is coming when the virus of sin will be gone. And there will no longer even be a need for a vaccine. There's coming a day when all of the damage that sin has done will be repaired. There will be a moment when everyone who trusts in Christ will break free and be made new creations. And I have given you my son, says God, that you might see the sort of life I have in mind for you. That you might see the kind of love I have for you. And to give you confidence that as far as eternity goes, this work is already done to tell us, die. It's finished. Wait for it. So believe this good news, dear ones. The God who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. These are words that you and I can live by. Please pray with me. Great God, our master, we humbly ask that if any of us are still blind to the magnitude of our debts, that you will open our eyes. Then seeing more clearly, let us also hear the words of your son, declaring above the din of this world, to tell us die, it is finished. Your debts have been paid in full. Grow up in each of us, we pray, an ever-deepening confidence that we are Today, a clean sheet, a new creation, a fresh block of stone. Enable us to believe with all of our hearts that there is no change of character, no venture of faith or of hope or love that is impossible because of your power at work within us and upon us. And then, O Lord, grant us grace to accept the blows of your hammer and chisel upon us. For although they will sometimes hurt, we know that it is indeed in order to make us perfect. In the name of him who is promised to complete in us the work he has begun, even Jesus Christ our Lord, all God's people said, amen. Without hope, without light
I think that when we receive that grace, 
none of us ever seems to be able to take the fullness of all of it in, but the more of it that we do absorb, the more we become people of grace ourselves. Uh, we wanna take this love that we've been given and just share it with other people. And I just wanna say how awestruck I am by how that impulse is moving in the life of our church family right now. Uh, we're just getting reports of so many people who want to help. And uh, we keep inviting people, let us know how you need help, and they keep coming back. You keep coming back saying, no, how can I help? I would say, keep praying. Keep praying for our leaders, for our healthcare workers, for the people that are out there putting themselves in harm's way to deliver essential services. Keep praying for those who are sick, uh, who are far from home, and ask God's grace to fill them up and strengthen them. I would say, secondly, uh, we would love it if you would continue to help us with our food and supplies drive. Uh, you have given an amazing response so far, but the needs continue to grow, and so we're continuing to collect at our Butterfield campus uh, a list of particular foodstuffs and supplies. You can find out what that list is. If you go to our website, you click on the orange resources button on the homepage. It will take you to our full list of resources, and towards the top, you'll see in red uh, a, a, a link to a page that will describe how you can help uh, with these uh, resources. In a time when, as a church family, our budget is tighter, uh, your uh, making these resources available really enables us as a church to meet the needs of so many others. I also have been just amazed by the work of a number of Chinese women in our congregation's life who have rallied in a phenomenal way to, to mobilize resources and to get them to people that need them especially. And one of these dear friends uh, recently managed to procure 2,500 surgical masks. Uh, not the N95 uh, kind, but a regular surgical mass. And she wants the, to make them available to the vulnerable people that may exist even in our church's family. And so um, we're going to be distributing them tomorrow and on Tuesday from 3 o'clock to 7 p.m. in the parking lot of our Oak Brook campus and on Friday from 12 to, to 2 p.m. in the parking lot of our Butterfield campus. You can just drive on up. We'll give you those uh, masks in a, in a uh, plastic bag and you can be on your way. This same amazing uh, person has gotten all kinds of really high level medical grade uh, PPE, uh, protective uh, equipment, and has made it available to hospitals uh, and to other important institutions that are helping people in need around this area. Uh, it is an awesome thing to see what flows out of a heart that has been overtaken by the love of Jesus Christ. I hope today that that love has overtaken you a little bit more as it has me. And so, dear ones, until we are standing face to face with each other again, and even more importantly, until that great and coming day when we stand face to face with the master who has made us perfect, until that coming day, go forth in hope, be of good cheer, hold fast to that which is good, render to no one evil for evil, but comfort the afflicted and bind up the brokenhearted, rejoicing always in the power of God with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.